you don't learn from history, nothing to say. Oh, that is history. I got something for you. Was that a freaking Back to the Future reference? Mr. Leverage. <laughs> Being a dad is probably one of the best things that's ever happened in my life. Most rewarding things in the entire world. The right tool for the right job, man. That's all you need. Best meat ever. You need to put it in your mouth. And now uh, one of my favorite quotes of all time is from John Wooden. He says, uh, do not let making a living prevent you from making a life. Welcome into the Blue Collar Dadcast. This is Chad. I'm here with Jeremy. And we're studio, two. studio number two, covering Sand Creek Part Two. Yes, we are, and we did go to that uh, exhibit, and yep, we did. It was uh, you could hear a pin drop in that exhibit, man. Yeah, I mean, nobody was talking. It was, nobody. It was very interesting. Very interesting aura about it. You know, it was. It was like, gosh, man, it was like I, going to a funeral. Exactly. I was going to say a wake, but yeah. not. I don't know what to expect going in, but uh, yeah. a lot of intrigued people. Yep. And it, that was a good thing to see. Definitely. And the girls did really good. They were bored, but they weren't, you know. They were respectful. I think very, they kind of read the room. Yeah. They read the room. Yeah, and... they hung out for a little bit and looked at some stuff. But, you know, for the most part, they just kind of sat in the little, they had a little room that would kind of uh, kind of show you what it was like on the planes. For, yeah. for the natives back then? Yeah. Yeah, they had, like, nature sounds and... It was, like, uh, nighttime and... It was really cool. Very ominous. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's a traveling exhibit. I'm, I'm I think sure I think it is. Yeah. Because, I mean, there was, like, signs on the ground for, you know, Sand Creek Massacre, fourth floor, you know, not your normal, typical exhibit, I guess. For sure. For sure. So, I mean, I'd say go check it out, but it probably won't be there by the time this airs. So, yeah, maybe if it's still there, it's it's worth a, it's worth a, a stop if you're interested. It's in the Colorado um, History, History Museum. Museum. Yep. So that's where it is. Twelfth and Lincoln. Not too far. Not too far at all. Nope. Hop, skip, and a jump for something cool. Definitely. And uh, yeah, with that, we're just picking up on where we left off last week. Yep. We didn't give much but just kind of the timeline leading up to the day of the massacre yeah we kind of briefly overviewed everybody kind of involved and i mean we kind of went into detail on here and there and i want to apologize for saying oh we're gonna get into this next episode so many times but but look where you are the next episode here we are <laughs> <laughs> so we did mention some players yep the big ones at least the big players for sure we missed one we did. We missed one. And thank goodness for the exhibit. Yeah. Because we would have probably just passed over that. Not true. Knowing, Very true. Not knowing. So uh, we'll we'll get to him in a moment. Getting into the drinks. Yeah. Um, same thing. Same one. Like we said we would do. Same drink. The horse soldier. Last episode, we were drinking that, and it was amazing. I even finally buckled and dropped a cube. <laughs> Dude. So my neighbor, I, I, I brought... The horse soldier over for like a like a hey I'm sorry I had to bolt so fast last night and uh, and I poured up a bunch of like like four drinks his first sip he's like and you could like see like he was he was he was changing like his eyes were watering and he's like just disappears and goes to the bathroom I'm like his wife comes out <laughs> and jokingly she's like where's Billy I was like ah oh, he's puking 
He puked off oh. one sip. That's alcohol abuse. It's good stuff. Ah, well, poor guy. He needed to put an ice cube in it. Right. That's exactly what he said. <laughs> Here, I'll pour him up. Yeah, pour him up. And while you're doing that, shout out to my wife. She's bought a lot of supplies for the uh, studio number two. And uh, we've got these really cool skeleton ice cubes. Something that I did is, you know, I did what I said I was going to do. I made us a Twitter. You can follow us on Twitter now. Hey, that's true. BCDcast1858. Nice. Very nice. I even posted on the Horse Soldier uh, Twitter page. Bourbon? Oh, you did? I did. Nice. I uh, I put our episode on there. And we do a nice review of this here. There you go. That's a good way to network. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. They're going to be like, don't ever put us up there. Right. You guys suck. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, clinky and... Let's get into it. Yeah. So good. I'll put a nice cube in. It has so many flavors, man. It's not your typical bourbon whiskey, that's for sure. Yeah, I went I, totally not etiquette with me. I just grabbed it with my hand. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> for those that aren't here, there's a nice set of tongs, compliments of the wife. Yeah. You and can I, fetch your cube with. My Neanderthal ass just reached in and grabbed it. Uh, well, no one's judging here. So... I know you want to get into, uh, I mean, you've been really the, the main proponent of Silas Soul. That Yes. So what I ended up stumbling across, you know, when digging into the massacre itself is that there were folks that just disregarded the orders. They did not want, not want any part of this. And um, so the massacre happens. <coughs> Silas Soul, and there's a... Another person that I didn't mention. Yeah. Uh, Joseph Kramer. And we wouldn't have known about it, again, just... Without the exhibit, man. Without that exhibit. So, uh, Joseph Kramer, like Silas Soul, they even reference each other uh, in one of their multiple letters to Mr. Edward Winecoop. Or Ned. Or Ned. So, when you see the letters, if you happen to look it up, you'll see a person named Ned, and that's Mr. Winecoop. Yep. He was actually the... Um, lieutenant in command of Fort Lyon, just before the massacre. He actually was relieved of duty. I forget the guy's name. His last name was Armstrong, I think. Okay. And I don't want to put it on the record here, but, you know, the, he was replaced by somebody else. And the guy that replaced him, we may have touched on this in the last episode, was a native hater. He he did not like them. He believed they were soulless. So Winecoop was relieved of duty. And after all the events, I mean, actually, we could start with the events, honestly, uh, from his account, from, from Silas Soul's letters to Winecoop, if, if you want to start that route. So, yeah, I mean, I want to touch on Silas Soul. He's, I didn't know this, but he was 26. Yeah, he was a young dude. At 26, I, dude, I think I had just became a dad. Yeah, me too. And... <laughs> Working at the same place that I do now. So, right. anyway, just hats it's off for... Crazy. He was he was the commander of a... His backstory is really cool. Look, look more into his backstory um, on your own time, if, if you find him interesting. He uh, had only been in Colorado for four years leading up to this. Mm-hmm. So, getting into the letters, Sol later recalled 
we arrived at Black Kettle's and Left Hand's camp at daylight. After Shivington's men opened fire without warning, a soldier from the 1st Colorado and an interpreter trading in the camp ran out with white flags, signaling that the Indians were peaceful. The troops paid no attention. Hundreds of women and children were coming towards us, Soul remembered. Getting on their knees for mercy, Major Anthony responded by shouting, Kill those sons of bitches. A horrified soul related in his letter to Winecoop that he had refused to fire. Instead, after taking his company across the creek away from the melee, Soul watched appalled as artillery barraged the native people. Batteries were firing into them, and you can form some idea of the slaughter. When the Indians found that there was no hope for them, they went for the creek and buried themselves in the sand and got under the banks. Here, Sol offered a different view of the fortifications that Shivington often cited as definitive proof that he had attacked a village overflowing with hostile Indians itching for a fight. So... Shivington came back to Denver after the attack, mm-hmm. and this is kind of where it comes into like this was a massacre, not a battle. It was not a battle. Shivington would have you believe that it was a battle. We'll we'll get into just a little bit of Shivington's. I've got some marked out in there as well. But yeah, I mean, he he went in front of Congress and and testified multiple times because, I mean, these letters and different soldiers that aren't even named that were coming up and saying that Shivington just massacred these these poor natives, dude. Even later, like, it, the massacre lasted six to eight hours. Right. I'll tell you, Ned, it was hard to see little children. It was almost impossible to save any of them. As he drew his correspondence to a close, he remarked, I suppose Kramer has written to you all the particulars. Five days later... Joseph Kramer, the person that mm-hmm. we wouldn't have known about, uh, communicated with Winecoop, sharing his own experience. Solon Kramer's detailed accounts prompted the Joint Committee on the Conduct of War and the U.S. Army to launch investigations of the massacre in 1865. Their reports published in 1865. Congress, in 1867, the U.S. Army prevented the details of the massacre from being swept under the rug. So, I mean... Congress and the Army didn't want this to get swept under the rug. So then that started a whole slew of things, which ultimately led to Seoul being assassinated, which we can cover here in a little yep. bit. Yep, yep. And that was the one thing that we touched on. We didn't even mention it. We start, It was the start of the episode. Yes. We all need Seoul. I actually deleted that part from the episode because I didn't want to give it away. Well, no, that's good, I'm, but we are right. We all could use a little bit of soul yep. uh, in our day-to-day. He did the right thing. He, yeah, he stood he down and he wrong. told his men to he, stand down. He knew it was wrong. And, and I, I mean, yeah, for real, man. Hats off. Hats off. He, uh, he ended up paying the ultimate price for it. Like I said, we'll, we'll touch on that here in a minute. Cause, yeah. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll keep my mouth shut then. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> but we had mentioned in the previous episode that this militia, this this cavalry it was it was all freaking volunteers so yeah. they're not even disciplined soldiers yeah they basically just wild out man also exactly. you know armstrong says kill those sons of bitches and they're like sweet let's go i mean basically they just got all the hype from the 
the Hungates that were murdered on the planes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. All that hype. And yeah. you've got these volunteers. And they're just regular people. So regular they're, they're people. getting fed by the news. They were the bloodless third. So they were in Denver just walking around as soldiers, not deployed, not doing anything. So this was their first taste against the, the evil natives. Yeah. Right. They were just being portrayed as evil. Yeah. And I mean, with all the the propaganda that was being spread around, it, it's, I mean, it was inevitable. If you got two bloodthirsty soldiers that are lieutenant and colonel and, you know what I mean? And they're saying, go kill these sons of bitches. And they've, that's all they've been fed is misinformation. And they're angry. And they're angry. And they want revenge. So they didn't give a shit. They didn't. They didn't. Sad, man. And, you know, to Silas' account, um, like you were saying, it's hard to see little children on their knees. Yeah. Like, it, it, it gets specific. And warning. Warning. It's, it's graphic. Little children on their knees having their brains beat out by men professing to be civilized. Mm-hmm. He also wrote, Squaw's snatches were cut out for trophies. And it, I mean what it says. Mm-hmm. Keep, you just heard. Keep going. In another case, you remember that a woman was cut open and a child taken out of her and scalped. What there, in the actual fuck? And I have this theory. I, I know, man. I know. But I have this theory because the original account from Shivington said when he brought scalps back, um, white men's scalps. And they couldn't be more than a couple days old, as confirmed by a doctor. That's what got him got him free from any any legal actions with uh, you know around the massacre. He said he brought back the number changes, but it started with two, one or two, brought back white scalps, can't be more than a day's old. My theory is he actually scalped his own dead men. He's sick enough. And and brought the scouts back to 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 justify his actions. Well, thank goodness for these two, Soul and Kramer. I mean, it still happened. That's the sad part. But it, I mean, thank God it didn't get swept under the rug because of these because two. of those two. Yeah, it it didn't go down in the books as a victory, in, some sort of battle. Exactly. When these peaceful Arapaho and and the Cheyenne and the Cheyenne were told to go there by the governor. They said, if you're peaceful, he basically went out on a, on a, on a, I can't, I can't even say a whim, planned out, said, if you're peaceful, Native American, go to Fort Lyon, camp out there, you will be safe. And all the hostiles, we're going to find you and we're going to kill you. Yeah, so no, instead, no instead, they went to the peaceful tribe, the peacefuls of the tribes. And slaughtered them, man. They were flying uh, American colors. Yeah. Yeah, they were. They were supposed to be under the protection because they were flying those colors. Mm-hmm. And then it, it backs up, you know, backing up a little bit. They came out waving white flags. Like running towards them like, hey, hey, hey. Chief White Antelope actually stood would, there and just did the... The Cheyenne He, he gave chair. up, man. He gave up because... Because he was, again, I'm going to use the word proponent, one of the main proponents of peace. And he was telling his people, we're safe, we're safe, we're safe. Don't, there's nothing to worry about. So they were just living their day to day. And when they 
this attack started, he gave up. Stood in front of his tent, closed his eyes, did the death chant, and and they killed him. Yeah. Absolutely horrendous. It's it's not it's not an easy read. No, it's not. And you know, just again, being a dad, you know, and hearing Silas's account. Cutting out a baby and scalping a not fully formed baby? Like, come on, man. Right. And just defenseless children, you know, they're yeah. that are crying. <sighs> I don't wanna I don't wanna get too far. No. No, no, no. Because being a dad makes this it, it it hits. It does. It does. And I don't care the color of your skin. I, no, I don't care. I don't can't say you don't see color because everybody sees color, but I don't care the color of your skin. There's, this is an atrocity, man. Of course it is. So I almost don't want to hear from him, but uh, you've got Shivingtons. I've got. I'm not like I. I don't want to hear from him either. But for for the podcast, for the history portion, I'm gonna touch a little bit on his his testimony for sure. And again, we're. Uh, Quoting from a really, really good book, um, very detailed, by Ari Kelman. It's called A Misplaced Massacre, Struggling Over the Memory of Sand Creek. Also in conjunction of History Colorado, who I also followed on Twitter. So now we got a whole bunch of volunteer military coming back from Mm -hmm. the battlefield. And it was said that they... There was, you know, a mile-long march heralding okay. a victory out on the plains against the Indians, the... The natives, yeah, well, yeah. Well, the natives. Yeah, but, but they, they called they, them Indians back they then. They called so. them Indians, right? The Indian Wars. So they 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 triumphed over the, the quoting, evil Indians. Yes. And here's Shivington's... Okay, I won't get, like, too, 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 too deep into, into Sh- uh, Shivington's bullshit, but... He's saying, um, after informing Curtis of his exploits, Shivington found energy later in the day for other important matters, public relations. He composed a second note to editors at Denver newspapers. Although the men of the 3rd Colorado Regiment had enlisted months earlier expecting to fight Indians, they had mostly loafed around the city instead, winning only reputations for ignoring bar tabs. Onlookers taunted the soldiers for their inactivity. Good. Good for you. Uh, Labeling the outfit as the Bloodless Third. Shivington's Sand Creek story responded to these slurs by celebrating the signif- significance of the violence. Grander in the second telling than the first, what had been an engagement became one of the most bloody battles ever fought on these plains, he said. His men, he related, had attacked one of the most powerful villages in the Cheyenne Nation. The result represented almost an entire annihilation of the tribe. Perhaps concerned that he appeared to be gloating over fresh corpses, he then addressed those gentlemen who are opposed to fighting these red scoundrels, concluding as in his God, Jesus, as in his earlier note, by referencing abomination supposedly committed by the fallen enemy, I was shown by my chief surgeon, this is quotes, I was shown by my chief surgeon the scalp of a white man taken from the lodge of one of the chiefs, which could not have been more than two or three days taken. And I could mention many more things to show how these Indians that have been drawing government rations are and have been acting, end quote. So, I guess I kind of touched on it before I started reading the actual account. I mean, this guy's just 
using this guy. I think he scalped his own men. He's a sick son of a bitch. He's a sick son of a bitch. Like, hey, yeah, look at look at what I've recovered. Right. To to just to justify my actions. So he says, uh two this is before quote. I mean, he says two weeks later, his perspective apparently sharpened by rest, Shivington wrote a more complete report to General Curtis. The colonel explained that on November twenty fourth, the third regiment, along with part of the first regiment, had arrived at Fort Lyon in southeastern Colorado, where they had collected more men and artillery, including at least two howitzers. Four days after that, he recalled, the column had marched northeast through the night until, at daylight on 29th November, striking Sand Creek about 40 miles from Fort Lyon. There, the campaign discovered an Indian village of 130 lodges comprised of Black Kettle's Band of Cheyennes and eight lodges of Arapahoes with left hand. Shivington divided his troops and ordered an assault. Although the attack surprised the Indians, they rallied before forming a line of battle across the creek about three-fourths of a mile above the village, stubbornly contesting every inch of ground. A running engagement ensued, the Indians facing heavy fire from infantry, mounted cavalry, and artillery gradually fell back from one position to another across approximately five miles. Eventually, though, Black Kettles and Left Hand's people abandoned all resistance and dispersed in all directions. So, that's that's his first. So he's he's sending letters immediately to cover his ass. Well, I'm sure. And this this account, the further you read, I don't want to give him any more. I don't want to read any more from him. But the further you read about what he says to Congress and the letters he writes and stuff, and the guy went to trial, I think seven or eight different times, and. He talks that number of scalps, that one or two or three or whatever it was, became 19 eventually. And he said that women were hanging them from their their teepees for war trophies. So they were evil. They were evil. And George Bent was there. George Bent was at Sand Creek, man. Do you have any of his? I do. I do. Would you like me to indulge? I think we should. In honor of George Bent, who... Really wasn't touched on too much. I mean, he wasn't really touched on too much because there's just so much information from him. Uh, I mean, the man wrote letters for decades. He lived until... So he was born in 1843, and I think he died in 1918, if I'm not mistaken. So he lived a long, long life. And, and his book of all of his letters didn't come out until 1943. So he didn't even live to see his book come out and, and his tellings of the entire way of life, his life, the way of life of the, of the Cheyenne, um, the war parties. I'm this guy is one of the most interesting people I've ever, I think I said this in the last episode, actually one of the most interesting people I've had the pleasure of reading about. It sounds like it having been a biracial dude, and he fought with the Confederacy, came back, became a Cheyenne fully. Um, Which was part of his roots. Yep. If you missed it in the first episode. And he was a peaceful, peaceful Cheyenne. And after the events, because I'm not going to get to that, after the events, he actually, because they, they went on the warpath. I guess we can touch on that a little later, but they went on the warpath after Sand Creek. Um, they were pissed. Oh, I, yeah. Oh, yeah. So here, here's a little excerpt from George. Um, looking back on the massacre at the beginning of the 20th century, George Bent viewed Sand Creek as a hinge in Cheyenne history. 
an event that ended a relatively peaceful and prosperous era for the tribe and began a more violent and impervished one. In November 1864, he camped with Black Kettle near Sand Creek. Bent was wounded in the massacre but lived. Still, federal officials inquiring into the violence apparently sought neither his testimony nor that of any other native survivors of the ordeal. Fancy that, right? They didn't want anybody that was on the other side to testify against their military. I believe it. Fancy that. So, here's a fun fact. Silas was able to save Charlie Bent, son of William Bent. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, uh, George's brother. I did not realize that Charlie was there. Silas saved him, dude. Wow. Silas was able to save a few people. The guy just keeps becoming a superhero every time I hear more information about him. Dude, we all need some soul. So you remember in the last episode I was talking about the frontier with Mr. Hyde? Yes. Mr. George Hyde? Well, this is kind of where his letters to to Hyde started. Um, Bent reported in the frontier that at the end of 1864, peace chiefs hoping to rehabilitate relations with whites had struggled to end violence. In August, Black Kettle, for instance, sent emissaries to Fort Lyon proposing prisoner exchanges. So they were trying their best to... Because they had captured, you know women and children the war parties had and vice versa you know the union had captured native americans so the exchanges did happen and and it was under the command of ned winecoop and then you wonder why general curtis relieved winecoop of his duties they called him a uh indian sympathizer well it goes against the narrative Against there, yeah, yeah. That's why none of the natives were allowed to, to testify. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read Bent's recount, and, uh, and it's again graphic. As for the massacre particulars, Bent related that when the soldiers arrived at Sand Creek just before dawn, he had heard shouts, warning of their approach. Startled, he dashed from his lodge and saw that Black Kettle had a flag on a long pole to show the troops that the camp was friendly. Shivington's men ignored the signal and opened fire from all sides. Bent then scrambled two miles upstream and discovered the main body of Indians who had dug pits under the high banks of the creek. These makeshift holes in the sand were the trenches that Shivington later insisted proved that the Cheyennes and Arapahoes had prepared in advance for combat. At day's end, Shivington finally drew off his men, having concluded the largest slaughter of Indians ever on the plains, in quotes, by Bent. But by Bent's reckoning... Shivington's body count far outstripped the facts, which were tragic enough. About 150 corpses littered the field, three-fourths of them, women and children. As soldiers cast about for macabre trophies. Absolutely appalling. I don't, I don't know if that word's going to get overused. Yeah, I don't care, because it it's, it's appalling, man. It's sick. It's twisted. And then the government being involved, too, where they just don't want... Their man, because Shivington was trying to run for political office. He was trying to use that to run for political office. Isn't that sick? Hey, look what I did. Look don't what look I did. At, but don't look at what I look. really did, but look at my... Uh, I won one of the bloodiest battles on the plains. So between Silas Kramer and now our friend George Bent, we've got three accounts of the atrocities seen out there. 
3 verse 1. That's right. Silas also wrote letters to congressmen and Silas also wrote letters to congressmen in Washington D.C. and he's got a friend Walt Whitman telling him the truth of what happened on okay. uh, November 29th, 1864. It went against all Washington's glorious battle. In January 1865, the United States government launched an investigation into the Sand Creek Massacre. That was one of many. Yeah. One, yeah. Of, one of many. Well, we start getting into it with Mr. Silas, right? Silas was a key witness to who testified against Shivington. Uh, and not just Shivington, but against the Colorado ca- uh, Calvary, explaining the extreme violence, bloodshed against the unarmed natives. By January, Shivington retired, dude. Yeah, he was trying to get into politics. But you get what that means. He can't be tried in military court. Ah, yeah, I know. The guy wasn't stupid, man. That's why I think he scalped his own men. That's the problem. He was smart. He was a fucking asshole is what he was. Oh, yeah, he was a smart asshole. Got it. Anyway, he wasn't convicted of any kind of criminal charges. He had left the military by then, so. However, I mean, woo, he ended his career. Uh, however, he ended his career in disgrace. Yeah, he never got political office. Right. There was just too many accounts that proved he was a he was a douche, and no, I mean, even though he was never convicted, nobody was gonna vote for him, dude. No, well, right, he was known as the butcher of Sand Creek. Yep. Later, so his reputation was still tarnished. So way to go, a hole. Yep, way to go, a hole. <laughs> oh man. And like, and and you think like, at least I do. Poor Silas Soul, going through the the trials and stuff, and he's a key witness, and just he gets assassinated, man. And it's like the good people trying to do good. It still happens to this day. Good people trying to do good. And people who do good good things and then point out all the dark just get assassinated. They're gone. Nope. Now they can't talk anymore. It really was the Wild West. It's a true testament to that. Sure. And, yeah. What, what really sucks is that, uh, you know, Silas, it's accounted that Silas hoped that life would return to normal. Uh, he left the army, accepted a job overseeing the military police in Denver. Yeah, that was, uh, he wrote a letter to his mom when he said that. That was, he was, I just want life to return to normal. Dude, how can you unsee that? I, yeah. Like we, we, we know about our boys today with PTSD, Vietnam, PTSD. Can you imagine that? No. Like it, I would imagine just it happened in like slow motion, you know? It probably would probably make me throw up, man. Honestly. Yeah. So him hoping that life would kind of just continue or normalize, rather. Mm-hmm. Uh, him and Ned, Mr. Ned Winecoop. Mr. Ned. They like to visit uh, Coberly's Halfway House. It was a famous saloon nice. uh, between Colorado. And we're going to have to find this. We are going to have to find it. We'll sample some drinks there. <laughs> so uh, Colorado, it's in between Colorado Springs and Denver. So cool. I wonder if the, the saloon is still around. We'll have to look that up. Yeah. Jot this down. Coberly's Halfway House. Coberly's Halfway House. 
So, shout out to Silas. He was just, he had just got married. And on April 23rd, 1865, he was gunned down on Arapahoe and 15th, downtown Denver. You're talking, you're talking five months. Wasn't long. Five months. Oh, and it's just a coincidence that he was gunned down, right? God, man. I walked into a trap, man. Uh, the two assassins who shot Silas, killing him instantly. They, they, a neighbor of Seoul found Silas minutes later, and he alerted the police. But his murder has already disappeared. Yep. I'm, I'm glad they have that plaque. You said 15th in Arapaho? I, yes. Yeah. And I did go and see it. And people, people remember him. There Good. was a flower taped to the wall. Yeah. Yeah, I think you meant... I think you mentioned that. I did. But yeah. I did. I, this this sub is so, and I've said it a million times, it's so deep. We've said it two episodes before we even started it. We could go get 10 episodes on this, man. We we could. We just want you to know what we know. And if you're if you're interested in reading this book, it's I'm I'm gripped. Even after we're done with this episode. I mean, Sand Creek for us on the podcast will be done, but for me. Personally, in my personal life, it's not done. I'm, it's it's not. I'm I'm. It's crazy. It's crazy how attached. You you got to read this book. When I'm done, I'm gonna give it to you. Yeah. No, I'd love to read it. I'd, uh, it, it again, the metaphorical rock. Once you flip it, I don't know. The information's out there, and if, if you're the least bit intrigued, just give it a whirl. Take a look. I I implore you to do so. Please. Especially if you live in Colorado. Definitely. Because you see the signs everywhere. Sand Creek Massacre Trail. I guess that was one thing that we didn't touch on, was um, the Sand Creek Massacre Trail signs are all over the place. I believe they're in Montana. Dude, it was big news. So that trail was actually the 700-mile trail that the, and I'm, I may botch this, fact-check me, because I read it, and I'm not looking at anything right now, and I glazed over it, I guess. It was a 700-mile trail that they, they actually, that was their trail back and forth between their different camps. Okay. You can walk that trail. You can go to Cheyenne and walk the Sand Creek Trail all the way down to, to where the Sand Creek Massacre was. Can you bike it? Probably. Do you want to bike 700 miles? I don't want to walk it. <laughs> I'll put a freaking... Get a side-by-side and drive it. Hell. No, but it's it's everywhere, man. Dude, it, that probably rocked... No, not probably. That rocked the West's world, dude. It rocked the Cheyennes. They were almost extinct. Ah, that's That's insane. And then it bums me out that... Gosh, I wish we we have the time, but we need to move on. Yeah, I want to dig into and on a personal note, the First, Native American. Time. Uh, yeah, well, like white antelope, you know, just yeah, standing the there. The names, the names, what the prominence they had, you yeah. know, um, just white antelope standing there, facing down death, singing a song. He was at peace, dude. Well, he, he was at peace. He fought his fight. Yep. Yeah. I said I think I say it every episode, but it's a couple, but yeah. It literally is connected to everything. It I, is. 
just the, the other day I shared with you that he was the major general, Teller. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who we talked about in in the episode where we Central covered City. Central City. Yeah, yeah. He was a prominent military figure when this happened. All the stuff we have been talking about all ties in, man. It it does, and the, the Pikes Peak rush, the, the signal house on top of Pikes Peak. Yeah. Yep. And you know, it, you could see it all the way from Kansas, the the signal house, mm-hmm. that form of communication. I didn't know the Civil War made it out here, but that explains why there was a signal house on the top of Pikes Peak, and you Most can certainly. see it from Kansas, and you can see Kansas from it. Most certainly. It's all connected, people. It's, and we're just going to keep connecting stuff. It's going to be, it's going to be fun, man. Ah, as we keep going down this Colorado history rabbit hole, I mean, my adventurous side is, is coming out. We're we're going to go, and see some stuff. That's what we're going to do. Definitely. Hopefully, I see you down there at that saloon. Yeah. Well, we'll go together. We'll do a cheers for our friend Silas, Joseph Kramer, and George Bent, and Ned Winecoop, and the Arapaho and Cheyenne that lost their lives that day. Yeah, that's what I'll be And when I come home They'll be damn proud of me I'll carry this flag To the grave if I must Cause it's a flag that I love And a flag that I trust I kicked in the door I yelled my commands The children still here? It's over. Go home. Go. <laughs> so, uh, what, what are you thinking we should start in the next topic? Something a little lighter, huh? Oh, something that doesn't weigh so heavy. I agree. I'm glad we talked about this. Me too. I'm I'm really glad because it. I don't think I've ever gotten into anything this deep. Same. What we should talk about. Definitely lighter. Hopefully you have something in mind. I, I that's just where you're I'm empty. At. <laughs> well, uh, I heard something really really neat when I was in uh, Grand Junction this past week for work. Nice. I went out there and worked for the whole week. Uh, worked with a coworker. I won't give his last name, but his, his name's Mark. And older guys, like early 60s, and he told me that his father was a Denver police officer from like 1908 to 1935. Nice. When, when all the crime families and stuff, all the mafiosos were around. Oh. And he told me, he's like, look up the small dones. So I looked them up, and I would like to get into the small dones. It's pretty cool, man. It's kind of another one where it's like, there's a lot more than what we're going to talk about in 45 an hour, but it's a, it, it'll it'll be a fun topic if you're down. Dude. The small Dome crime family. Have you ever seen The Godfather? <laughs> All 20 million movies of them? Sorry, there's only three, I think. Actually, I've never seen it. They're long. I know, I know, and I, I keep 
telling guys, you, my wife, I want to watch him. I want to watch him, but we never do. It's not her fault. I'm not blaming her. I'm just saying we just never do. I mean, it's a commitment, just like this was. <laughs> just like the Sand Creek Massacre. It's a yeah. commitment, dude. So, yeah, small dones. I'm down. Dude, so, I'd... We're kind of bouncing back and forth between the two, but I guess uh, so my, my co-worker's dad actually... Um, Oh, man. Gaetano's. Gaetano's restaurant was owned by the Smalldones. Really? And that was like their main area for bootlegging, uh, illegal gambling and stuff like that. And Mark's dad would get off duty and actually go down in the basement at Gaetano's and freaking gamble with the with the mob. No kidding. Yeah, man. You know, I got nothing with the, the Smalldones. Maybe I... Maybe I do, but I had a coworker that uh, he worked at a dealership down okay. there, um, all the way that the farthest you could take Colfax. Oh, yes. You got something on that? N- I I don't. I, that's where he started. Uh, Mark, really? A, a dealership in like the whatever he said the seventies. Yeah, dude. He started working there as a tech. Okay. <laughs> and then he what? That's where he got connected? That's, that's where he got... Well, Mark was never connected, but he started working there as a tech. That's just kind of like very interesting that you brought up the same dealership. I'm going to dig into this because yeah. the person... I'm not going to name him, but the person that I worked with, uh, older gentleman, worked for a dealership and had, you know, kind of mafia-type ties. So I want to... I'm going to... It means I have to break silence. I haven't talked to him in a while. Yeah, that's fine. I might get a lecture because he's he's old <laughs> enough to do that, like a well, grandfather like lecture. Like yeah. I haven't heard from you, and I'm, like, I'm sorry. Well, now, well, whatever. Take your licks, man. I guess so for information purposes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I will. I will reach out. But uh, yeah, man, the mafia history runs deep in uh, Colorado, we, and that's another one we're not going to have a ton of time in, you know, forty five to an hour to. To get all the way into it, but we'll get, we'll get, we'll get into it. We'll get it there. We'll yeah. get in. We'll get back to the regular format next week too. Yeah, I'm excited. I've got news reviews and stupid, stupid people. people, dude. I used our uh, in the time that we haven't talked about reviews. I did buy a hoe like me. I think it's the off brand. Did so you? It's a hoe like you, and uh, I used it. the off brand. <laughs> a hoe like you makes a lot of noise as well. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> oh man, I, I'm not kidding, man. I it was such a high pitched scream, and I couldn't. You had to wear earplugs. Oh, I didn't have any earplugs. I did have to soldier through it, man. The further I shoved the hose in there, oh my god, dude, it, real deal. <laughs> you bought a hoe like you. <laughs> <laughs> we did that review, and then sure as shit, there's a freaking dryer vent cleaner. I have no idea what it's called. I just made that up, but it, it wasn't. I was like. You didn't buy a hoe like me. She's like looking at Randy. Yeah. She's looking at me like, what the hell did you just say? <laughs> you, you didn't buy a hoe like me? <laughs> so, so, yeah, now that she's like bought into the whole podcast thing. Anyway, I'm just laughing about it because yeah. I did use it the other day. I was getting <laughs> and ready. it screams really loud. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I call oh, it man. the off-brand. Yep. Uh, dude, that was hilarious. Too, too funny, dude. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we can wrap it up on that note. I just want to say, you know. Anybody, if you're of Native American descent, 
and we botched anything, hit us up on our socials, let us know. We feel for we feel for you majorly. I mean, this thing almost brought tears to my eyes. So, yeah, reach out, talk to us. That'd be really fun, actually. It it would be, honestly. I we're nobodies here. Yeah, we're we're just two dads drinking whatever beverage that whatever <laughs> when you're listening to us. Yep, and uh, we and, just and, stumbled across this and yeah. we had no idea how and learning how deep it went and learning. Of course, we're we're learning every day. And we definitely made ourselves students on this topic. Absolutely. So you can reach our, reach us on our socials. We now have Twitter, which is what is it? BCDcast eighteen fifty eight. BCDcast eighteen fifty eight. Is there an underscore or anything? Nope. Okay. And hashtag Happy Hour History. Happy Hour History. I might start hashtagging that on the IG. So IG's just BCDcast. Uh, Facebook is the same and. Our email is bcdcast at yahoo.com. Hit us up. Let Look us know. we hearing from you. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.